We want to look at God's providential care this evening. This is a really broad subject. We're not going to cover it in its entirety. I'm going to look at it from a nearly pharaoh, fairly narrow perspective. I need a nap, y'all. We're going to start here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Notice some things that the Apostle Paul says where he says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now the first thing I want to point out here is him is Jesus Christ. And the apostle says that all of these things were created by Jesus. But in addition to that creation, by Him all these things consist. Now, consist is something different than exist. And that's the contrast he's making here. And so I want to talk for a little bit about how these things consist. As we think about that word consist... It's, it's a word that the King James uses, but it, the word basically means hold together. And so the same power that brought our world into existence is the same power that holds it together and makes it work. And that was the Apostle's point there where we started in Colossians, okay? And then Peter has this to say in Second Peter 3, For they deliberately overlooked this fact. So who's they? They are the scoffers. They had them in the first century, and we have them today. And the apostle says they overlooked this fact. What fact is it? That the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's talking about the creation And then he's talking about the destruction of the creation with a flood. And then he goes on to say, but by the same word, the same word that brought these things that we see today into existence, he says, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So that's a promise that God has given us. And we can depend on that. Now I know there's all kinds of ideas out there in the world about where we came from and where we're going and what's going to happen to this earth, but I believe that right there. And I believe God's providence is going to make that right there happen. Now when we think about providence... Again, it's a new, I, I mean, a King James word, I suppose, but it's, it's divine guidance. God's in charge of this stuff. Now, folks, I know we live in a religious environment where co- people commonly believe that God is a giant puppet master and He's just controlling everything and he, he's, everything happens for a reason, right? We hear it all the time. It's a God thing and all of that stuff. But what I believe is is God's providence. 
And God has put things in place that might, are going to make the things happen that He wants to happen. Okay? So I want to look at that in three different contexts. The first one is very specifically God's providence in nature. And we know what the Bible says. Genesis 8, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground. The context here is immediately after the flood. That's where Moses had recorded this for us. And he said, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. I'm just, I'll just lay it right out here for you, folks. I don't believe in climate change. I believe that climate is always changing. But it's changing within the context of what God said is going to happen right here. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. And it's not changed since God made that promise right there. Now I know within that promise there's a bunch of variables. We still have hurricanes, don't we? Earthquakes, floods... Hailstorms, tornadoes, we get all of that. But in the context of God's providence, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, those things haven't ceased. And they're not going to cease because of God's providential care. Psalm 65 and verse 9, the psalmist records, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it, Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. And you know what you can depend on? If you go put a seed in the ground, you know what you're going to get? If it's a cotton seed, you're going to get a cotton plant. And you can depend on that. And everybody benefits from that. If you put a tomato seed in the ground, you're going to get a tomato. If you plant God's Word, you're going to get a Christian. It's the same principle. And it's God's providence that makes that happen. And you can say that's miraculous. It's amazing. But it's God's providence that makes that happen. And so you put a corn seed in the ground and you're going to get a corn plant. And if that corn plant makes anything, it's going to make some more corn seed. Psalms 147 and 8. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow up on the mountains. All of that happens because of God's providence. And it blesses everybody. Good, bad, and indifferent. Everybody on the face of the earth is blessed because of God's providence. 
Hebrews 6 and 7, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. We all have something to eat. We have clothes to wear. All of the things that are necessary to make that happen are because of God's providence in nature. Jesus says this in Matthew 5 and verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Y'all get lots of rain down here. In West Texas, it's a little more sparse. So there's a lot of conversation when it does rain in a spot, whether or not it rained on the just or the unjust. But the truth is, everybody benefits from rain eventually. And that's God's providence at work. I've got, well, before I get to my examples, I I love this verse in Luke chapter 22. I believe this is after the resurrection. And Jesus is trying to prepare His disciples for the fact that He's fixing to leave. And they're going to be left with a job to do. And as you might imagine, they're a little bit concerned about that. So Jesus reminds them of this here in Luke 22 and verse 35. And He said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? You remember what He's talking about, right? He sent them out on what we call the limited commission and He told them to go and He said, you don't worry about any of that stuff. Now I realize here, folks, that there was some miraculous stuff that took place. I I, I understand that. And that we don't live in the miraculous age today. I, I get all of that. But here's my point. God took care of them. He took care of them And He provided for them the things that they needed to do the job that He gave them to do. And He's going to do the same thing for us. We have what we need to do the job that God has given us to do. Every time. Okay, I've got some examples here. I've got three. There's dozens. These were three that resonated with me. That's all they are. I googled this. And this is what I come up with. Everybody remembers, if you were alive in 2010, you remember this, an explosion on the Deepwater Horizon oil platform in the Gulf of Mexico. The initial explosion killed 11 people. And that well spewed 4 million barrels of oil into the ocean, into the Gulf, right? The greatest ecological disaster since Saddam Hussein started all the fires in Kuwait, right? I mean, it's a terrible deal. Well, researchers from several leading institutions in the U.S. say they have discovered a new kind of naturally occurring underwater bacteria that has eaten a considerable portion of the oil that spilled out of the deep water horizon drilling platform. I don't know nothing, y'all, but that looks like God's providence to me. And the earth takes care of itself because God intends for it to take care of itself. 
I just picked a day, went with 1,000 A.D. I wondered what the world population in 1,000 A.D. was. And so I started researching that. Well, the number was all over the place. So I just took several numbers and averaged them and come up with 300 million. That's in the ballpark. I'll put it that way. Okay? Today... The estimate is that there's 7.6 billion, right? What is the thing that at least recent generations have, one of the things recent generations have in common is that we're going to outgrow the earth's ability to feed the population. I hear that? I've heard that all my life. We're going to have to colonize Mars, folks. I don't, I don't know about that. I know what God's word said. Therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. God's going to provide. And I think he's going to provide regardless of what the earth's population is. And I know that this very day there's people starving to death on the globe. But do you know why they're starving to death? Not because there's not enough food. It's because of politics and thievery and all kinds of wicked and evil things. It's not that we've outgrown the earth's ability to feed itself. Last example, April 17, 2018. This happens all the time. That's just the date. The most recent date when I put this information together, okay? So while the world was busy on that day doing its thing, a giant asteroid the size of a football field whizzed by our planet. Traveling at around 106,000 kilometers per hour, the asteroid was as far away from Earth as half the average distance from the Earth to the moon. Now, you know, and I know in a cosmic sense of things, that's a really close call. But I trust God's Word. And that really don't worry me at all. And the point I wanted to bring it out today is don't allow people to manipulate your emotions with that junk. We might get hit by an asteroid. I don't know. All I know is what God's Word said. And the earth is going to fulfill its purpose as long as God intends for it to fulfill its purpose. And His providence is going to take care of that. Okay, now uh, this is probably the, one of the more difficult things to talk about for me. But we have Romans 13 in verse 1. And we want to look at God's providence in government or in politics. Romans 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. It's pretty clear, isn't it? So does that mean that God picks our political leaders? Is that what that means? Lots of people apparently think so. I think it means exactly what it says, and what it says is God ordained the power. And the problem is, if we believe that God is picking 
our political leadership, then you've got to take the good with the bad. People say, well, that's, that's one of those God things, right? Be careful. Was Stalin a God thing? Was Mao a God thing? I believe he's the number one in the 20th century, he killed more people than anybody else. And I know people throw Hitler out there all the time, but Hitler was small potatoes compared to what happened in China. It was, I, I, don't, I don't remember the number, it was 50 million plus that died under that Chinese government. Is, is God responsible for that? In John 19 and verse 11, I look this up every time and I forget every time. I'm not sure if this is Pilate or Herod, but Jesus is before them in judgment and he says, Thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. And I believe that's what Romans 13 and 1 is talking about. He didn't pick this guy. But he allowed him to have the power to sit in judgment over Jesus. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee had the greater sin, right? Okay. Then in Romans 9... For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. So we can look at the story of Pharaoh and we can see God's intentions there. We can see God at work, right? Do you know why we know that's God at work? Because the Bible tells us it's God at work. Outside of that, we wouldn't have any idea what happened there. But we know because we can look back in view of what Scripture says that God was at work in that situation. Here's the other point about what we learn here. God didn't pick this guy. He just used him to accomplish his purpose. It didn't matter who it was. Don't sound to me like. God says that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So God don't have to pick a political leader for them to accomplish His purpose, okay? Here's the other thing, folks. If we're not careful... We get lost out in the weeds sometimes thinking that if we have the right government, our life's going to be much better. We don't need to be dependent on government. It's fleeting at best. It's politics. It's a disaster. Look at what we've got. It's division. It's divisive. Just the nature of politics, it's divisive. We don't need to get caught up in that. 
Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. The Lord is where our comfort needs to be on that stuff. And whatever else happens, He's going to provide. He's going to provide. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications and prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now I'm fully aware that when it comes to politics, there's a there's a wide range of ideas, to say the least, right? We've got people over on one extreme that don't participate at any level. They don't vote. They probably don't even have an opinion. They don't participate at all. And over here on the other side... We've got people that think the solution to all our problems as a country is that there were more Christians involved in politics. So those are kind of the two extremes. My position is we've got the liberty to work that out for ourselves. You decide for yourself where you want to fall in that. What I do, I vote. But that's, my, that's the extent of my participation. And I realize we live in a representative republic and we have the opportunity go and go, to go vote. And I believe as Christians go vote their values that that's good for our country. But here's my question. Is it more important to vote or pray? And you know what my point is? I don't care if you vote or not. I don't care if you run for office or not. I don't care what you do in the political realm. Just pray. Don't forget to pray. Because that's what the verse said to do. And at the end of all of this, what I want is a quiet and peaceable life. And he said the way to accomplish that is through prayer. So don't forget to pray. And like, if you want to vote, vote. Do what you, your conscience want, uh, leads you to do. But don't forget to pray. Titus 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. This is getting harder and harder. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. Really? Do I have to do that? To be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I think you see, I, sometimes I struggle with this stuff. But that's what the verse says. That's where Scripture leads us. But you know what my problem is? 
I get called names. I get called names, and these are some of them. Deplorable. If you believe the biblical position on homosexuality, well, you're a homophobe. If you're opposed to abortion on demand or abortion of any kind, then you're a misogynist, you're a woman hater, you're racist, you're bigot, you're a hater. So what's the proper response to all of this? Well, here's, here's my illustration. When people start calling you names, that mean they lost the argument. So calling them names back doesn't strengthen your position. So I'm out here on the road... And y'all, I, I mean, I, y'all got a traffic deal that's just unimaginable to me. I'm from West Texas, right? But even in West Texas, I'm out on the road, and if there's somebody going slower than me, and they're in my way, then my thought is, what is that moron doing? And if somebody passes me, is going faster than me, well, what is that idiot doing? And that makes me the best driver on the road, right? No. Calling them a name don't make me a better driver any more than people calling me a name makes them right. In John chapter 9, there's a, I love this story for multiple reasons. But Jesus healed this blind guy. The Pharisees just couldn't have none of it. They they would not accept. And the truth is, at the end of this story, we find the Pharisees were on the wrong side of this situation. They just were. They were flat wrong. They brought him in and said, what happened? And he said, that guy healed me. And they challenged him on that. And he said, well, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. They lost the argument. But you know what they did at the end of the argument? It says that then they reviled him. They called him a name and sent him away. Like that was going to make them right. So when you get called a name, the point is the proper response is not to call somebody else a name. The proper response is right there. Be submissive. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Look for the opportunity to return evil with good. And I know how hard that is, but at the end of it, that's the proper response because of God's providence. He's going to take care of all of this name-calling stuff. He's going to fix that in His own good time. And we need to not worry about that. And we need to trust God's providence to take care of those things.
So now I want us to think for a few minutes about how God's providence takes care of us spiritually. We have numerous examples in Scripture of this. The first one that came to my mind is here in Genesis 22 and verse 8. And we remember the story of Abraham and God had to ask Isaac to go, to ask God to go offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And so they were preparing to do that. And Isaac asked the most difficult question. Dad, we got everything else here. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. So he did, didn't he? God provided. So we think about God's providence at the end of it. That's what the word means. God provides. He's going to take care of us. He wants us to be spiritual beings. He wants us to have a spiritual perspective so He provides for us so that we can do that. Genesis 50 and verse 20. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. It's kind of a hard thing to overcome I would think but this is what Joseph said about that but as for you you thought it evil against me but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive you know and the thing we forget about God's providence sometimes he's not limited by the same things we are. He knows what's down there in the future. That's why we're supposed to trust Him. And that's what He recognized here. They had no good intention when they sold Him into slavery, but guess what? God made it work out. Romans 8 and 28. And I think that's an illustration of what that verse means. God's providence is going to make things work out. And when we have difficulty and disappointment in life, we've got to remember Romans 8, 28. It's going to work out. Sure, there's difficulty in the short term. Sure, there's disappointment right in front of us but it's going to work out. Philippians 1 and verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know that church growth, some of the most phenomenal church growth in history happened under the most severe persecution? Well, we don't want persecution. I I don't want that. And yet... And Paul said he was in prison. (laughs) What in the world? Why would God allow Paul to be put in prison? It worked out. 
And that's what he says. I want you to know all of this stuff that's happened to me, what? It advanced the gospel. We have a daughter that lives in Stillwater. I preached this sermon in Stillwater some months ago. And after I was through, one of the guys came to me and I never it never occurred to me. But he said, don't you think most of God's purpose was accomplished at the cross? Hmm. Probably so. Probably most of God's purpose was accomplished at the cross. And yet, we have opportunities to this day to take His gospel to the world. And I believe He's going to provide for us to accomplish that. And I believe things are going to work out. If we'll keep on planting and watering. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, he says of temptation that things that happen to us are common to man. There's nothing unusual or out of the ordinary that's going to be used to tempt us. He's placed that limit on, on Satan, if you will. And it's God's providence that's going to provide the way of escape. We can depend on that. There is a way to escape temptation. If we'll look for it and if we want it, God provides that. First Peter 4 and verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. That's what we need to do with our abilities. So we want to conclude with Psalms 93 and 1. The Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. You know, one of the things we hadn't talked about today is, is prayer. We looked at the verse, I forgot to mention the fact that when He says to pray for leaders... Doesn't that mean that prayer can make a difference? Does He ask us to do something that don't make any difference? I don't believe He does. So as we think about prayer in the context of God's providence, it makes a difference. We have access to the most powerful being in the creation. And we need to take advantage of that. And we need to be faithful in our prayers. But he reigneth, he's clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also is established, that it cannot be moved.